0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 7, 1 through 10. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The word of God.
1: Lord God, we thank you for uh, bringing each of us here today. Lord, would you open our ears to hear what you have for for us? Would you open our hearts to receive you? Lord God, would you just uh, put aside any of my uh, Preparation or my own plans for this time. And if you have something you want to say to your people, just speak to them now. Our God, we're listening, we're open, we're ready for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned before, this last week I was able to, to uh, take some vacation time. And part of that was I went to Santa Cruz and uh, spent two nights at a campground there. Uh, and it was just a great time, uh, kind of this rejuvenating time, this time where it was uh, just with me and God. And, and our kids still had school, so Susan and the kids were still at home. So it was just me uh, by myself in Santa Cruz, which I haven't done before. But uh, it was nice, and it was, again, just one of those times where you just feel like you connect with God really well. Um, but I'm, I'm wondering if any of you have ever had those times where it feels like the opposite where it feels like you're putting in a lot of effort that you're putting in. You're doing what you think you're supposed to do, but your prayers just don't feel like they're being effective. Your prayers just feel like uh, no matter what you say, no matter what you do, it's just bouncing right back off the ceiling and coming right down at you. I remember being a teenager and laying in my bed and, and, and praying to God, and that was the feeling, that I'm staring at the ceiling fan, and it's like, it's like my prayers are going up, and they're just stopping right there and And I can't hear from God, and I'm not hearing uh, God's response or God's even reassuring and And you just pray and and you just say, "God, are you there? Can you hear me? It's like those those old commercials where where the person's calling and there's bad cell phone reception. and can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? We're crying out to God, and you're just saying hello. God, I don't hear anything coming back. I don't hear any response. I'm not feeling anything, but I keep crying out to you. Can you hear me? Are you there? There's things going on in my life. Can you fix this? Are you going to respond at all? I'm going through something right now, God. Are you there? Are you even listening? You know, and in church, we talk about this, this word faith, and it kind of becomes this big, fancy church word, and we don't really use it much when we go out into the rest of the world, but we come to church, and we, we think we kind of get it, but sometimes it seems like just having an active prayer life, just reaching out to God over and over again, takes more faith than we have. It takes more endurance than we have. It takes more going on. Uh, inside of us to be able to make that leap of faith to continue to reach out to God. Now today we're actually going to jump back into a sermon series from uh, back in the fall. Uh, I kind of have this this series that I like to kind of pop in and out of whenever there's a week that makes sense. And I think this week makes sense. It's called The Call to Follow. Uh, And what it is, it's just a series where I like to look at different people, particularly in the Gospels, that come into some interaction with Jesus. Somehow in their life, they come across Jesus. Jesus is doing something, uh, and, and he's there. And normally it's Jesus in the gospel, so it's it's Jesus himself. He's right there. Uh, and they, they interact with him, and then their lives change. They leave different based on that interaction with Jesus. So in the fall, maybe you remember, we talked about the rich young ruler uh, one week, and we talked about The Pharisee, Nicodemus, and the tax collector, Zacchaeus. Uh, And then we talked about the Apostle Paul, the great persecutor of the church who becomes the great missionary of the church. And their lives are are changed. Their lives look different after their experience with Jesus. So today we're going to focus on this Roman centurion uh, from Luke chapter 7. And Jimeline read it for you earlier, Luke chapter 7, this is verses 1 through 10. And we read in Scripture that Jesus is going around, he's, he's doing healings, he's doing miracles. And he goes by the town of Capernaum, and there's a Roman centurion there. And his servant, that it says he highly values, is very sick. And he reaches out to this miracle worker. And he reaches out to this person that he, he has heard stories of, who has been doing healings. And he sends, actually, kind of the Jewish elders of the town, and he says, can you go and, and maybe you can convince him to come here and heal my servant for me? And that's amazing by itself, because here it's a Roman military official, uh, and he's reaching out to this local uh, holy man kind of thing. Uh, and, and, he's, and he's reaching out, and he's just saying, Maybe there's something that this Jesus can do uh, in this situation. And and then he does what is commonly called one of the great acts of faith uh, in the Gospels. Because as Jesus is on his way, he sends another servant. And this servant says, uh, what my master is telling me is that he doesn't even think his house is worthy for you to even step foot in. And and then he says these words. He says, just say the word, and I believe my servant will be healed. You're far away. These other miracles you've been doing, you've come close to people. You've touched them. You've put your hands on them, and and miracles have happened. But but the faith is in this. The faith is you're still miles and miles away, but I believe that you are so powerful. All you need to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. And I'm not worthy to even have you come any closer. And it says in the text, verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith in all of Israel. Now, notice who's traveling with him right now. His disciples are right there. And these elders of the town that came out are traveling back with Jesus. And he says, I have not even found this kind of faith in all of Israel, including you disciples, including you elders of the town. I've not found this kind of faith. But I just love this line. It says, uh, again, the beginning of verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Now, what does it take to amaze Jesus? that's That's a line right there. If you underline things in your Bible, that's a good one to underline. Jesus is amazed at him. This is incredible. Uh, and what is he amazed at is the faith that he has. So, what is a centurion or centurion or, cent, you know, whatever? There's many ways to say it. I'm from the Midwest, so if I say it weird, uh, I don't know. Give me grace. They're a Roman military official. Uh, And how it works is they have to have at least 100 people under their command. That's what gives them the name. So they have 100 soldiers that are under their command. So they're not some low-ranking person. Uh, 100 people, they're powerful, they're well-respected, and they're even feared. Not just among the people of the area that they're serving, they're feared among their own soldiers. That's part of how they get them to do what they're supposed to do. These are often hard, hard men. In the eyes of Jesus' followers, this is probably one of the most unlikely people that's going to teach them what great faith looks like. He's not here because he's the model citizen, the obvious example. He's here because he's the exact opposite. It's this Gentile uh, military leader. They're this key part of the Roman military machine, that is controlling this entire area. Now, I was doing a little more research into it, and most centurions would fight right right alongside their soldiers. That was kind of how they moved up to the ranks, but they would continue to. They were often on the front line. So as they fought, they were right there, shoulder to shoulder with their soldiers. And the way that they moved ahead was often because they were more powerful. They were stronger. They were more fearless. They were more mighty in battle. They stood out because of their strength, because of their bravery. They weren't far from the battle, sitting in some tent, drawing up strategic plans. That was other people. The centurions were on the front line, holding their shield and holding their sword, right at the heart of the action. So because of this position, because of who they were, you can guarantee that they are both feared and they are both respected. Again, by the general population, but also their own soldiers. And when they spoke, people listened. When they gave a command, their soldiers followed through with that command. And when they saw a problem, they fixed that problem. But here in Luke chapter 7, we find a centurion that's come across a problem he cannot fix. And he's humble enough to recognize it. Again, we read that that his servant was extremely sick. And Luke makes sure to note that the centurion values his servant greatly. And beyond that, he's heard stories of Jesus. So he reaches out to him and he sends the elders of the people. And the elders of the people uh, say some interesting things. So, uh, They arrive, and certainly the centurion would be powerful in battle, and certainly he would be respected and feared, but he's actually respected, interestingly, by by the Jewish leaders also. They say, uh, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. And he has built our synagogue. That's verses 4 and 5. And then verse 6, we read that so Jesus went with them. Verses 6 and 8. He, meaning Jesus, was not far from the house. When the centurion sent his friend to him. Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come before you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Then we get to verse 9. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Jesus then does the healing from afar, and we read that when the servants returned, that they found the man healed. Again, this centurion, he's this, this Roman, he's a, he's a Gentile. There's no indication that he's, he's Jewish. He builds the synagogue, but that was pretty common back then. They were kind of taught, the Roman officials were taught to kind of respect the religion of the people. And it was pretty common for them to, uh, if they were good people, to give money to help with things like this. So, so this isn't necessarily an indication that he's Jewish. He just, just helps the people. And by helping the people of God, uh, he has earned this respect, not just through the fear. And I don't know about you, but this faith that he has to be able to say, Jesus, you're still so far away, but just just say the word and I know it will happen. That's the faith I want to have when I'm praying. That's the faith I want to have when I'm reaching out to God. Like I said in the beginning, when I'm reaching out, it feels like it's bouncing off the ceiling. That's why this this story is in Scripture, this, this beautiful example of faith that comes from this most unlikely source. Matthew 17, verse 20, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Again, this unlikely source to, to show us what faith is. Jesus loves to do this. This happens over and over again in Scripture. He, he takes these, these examples and he's teaching. Again, the disciples are right there as this is happening. His followers are right there. The the leaders of the people are right there. And yet the object lesson of the faith is not them. It's this Roman official. There's actually three centurions uh, that make prominent roles in Scripture, and they're all kind of used in a similar way. So I think it's kind of interesting to look at. The first one, of course, here, Luke chapter 7, the one we've been looking at. He shows, shows great faith in asking for this healing, But there's also a second one, a completely different person, but also a centurion, also has at least a hundred people under his command, and he is put in charge of seeing uh, to Jesus being crucified. He's in charge of that moment, of that event happening. And he's the one that later testifies in Mark chapter 15, verse 39. It's the centurion after it's all done that says the word, surely this man was the son of God. Again, another perfect example from the most unlikely source. The person who is overseeing this execution, Mark 15, verse 39, surely this man was the son of God. Then there's a third one we read about in the book of Acts. He's actually We're told his name. His name is Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his entire family are baptized by Peter. And they become some of the very first Gentile or non-Jewish followers of Christianity. Again, another centurion that is baptized with his entire family. All of these men are qualified to do many things. They are qualified to lead an army. They are qualified to give an order and have that order listened to. They are qualified to speak and have other people listen. But they are not qualified, in in the most core of that sense, they are not qualified to stand up in front of God's people and show what faith truly looks like. They're qualified in many other ways, and people listen to them, and people fear them, and they're not going to write them off. But these are not religious leaders of the day. If anything, I would say they're a lot more like us. They do what they do. They try to do it well. When they see a problem, they try to fix it. And sometimes they come across problems that are way too big to fix. And they've learned strategy Throughout the years, they've learned things they can do to try to influence the world around them, try to keep everything in order, try to keep everything in control. But they're not qualified to stand up in front of the Jewish elders, to stand up in front of Jesus, Jesus' own disciples, and to teach them what faith looks like. So here's my challenge to us as the church. What does this mean for us today? This next week, we're going to start with outdoor church services. Part of that, obviously, we've been living in this last year. I don't think COVID is some hidden thing. Uh, It's easier to be outdoors. It's easier to have open air. It doesn't limit our capacity. But why is that our heart? It's because we can get pretty full in here with our current capacity limits. And that's not a terrible thing. I like it. But we don't have a ton of room for other people. To, to just be frank, to just be honest, we, we can look around and there's not a ton of empty seats. And when there's not a ton of empty seats in the church, you don't tend to look around and say, who should be sitting there? Who in my life, who am I interacting with? Who, which one of my neighbor's? really belongs in that chair. And if you look around it and the room's pretty full, you just kind of don't do that. And now you're already saying, I'm not qualified to even think that way. (laughs) Hold hold on there, pastor. (laughs) You're you're the one that's supposed to bring people to church. I I just come to church and and this is nice. Uh, But here's the deal. When we go outside, there's no seating capacity at all. And while that's comfortable for us, the reason is because of our mission, of of why we exist in this town, that there's people in each of our lives that would be here if they were invited. I fully believe that. There's actually studies that have been done uh, in settings like ours that they've uh, studied people and they said, you know, what's your understanding of the church? How do you feel about the church? You know, what, what would bring you to church? And one of the common responses nowadays uh, when they say, what would it be like to go to a church if no one invited you? you know, it's not enough for the sign outside to say oh, everyone's welcome. You know, if, if no one invited you, what would it be like? And do you know what they compared it to? Showing up to someone else's wedding reception was the number one response. Now that seems comical to me. I, I, I want to laugh, right? Because those of us in the church were like, of course that's not what it would be like. But who goes to someone else's wedding reception you're not invited? You're not going to. It's just, it's just true. So what's the difference? The difference is inviting people. And I know it's awkward. And I, and I know you look around and you say, well, oh, not qualified to do that. <laughs> Never been taught. Don't, don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that would look like. And I want to say, and I truly mean this, that that's, that's okay. I think that's the common response of, I don't know if it's the majority, but let's just say the majority of church-going people in America don't even know the first step in how to bring someone alongside them to church. And, and it's one thing if it's, if it's your kid Or if it's some relative and you got this, you know, this really deep relationship, and you should have deep relationships if you're inviting people to church. I mean, don't, I'm not saying like go knock around at strangers and be like, come to church. That sounds off-putting. But, but what does it look like that, that this entire church lives in different neighborhoods in this community? And we're all surrounded by people. We all have people around us and we have people that, that, I know it's true, but it's also statistically true that if they were just invited, would go. They exist. I promise you, they exist. <laughs> they ex- like, if you look at, at your neighbor, let's just take your, your physical neighbors, the closest uh, nine houses around yours, they exist in those nine houses. They do. And I'm not telling you this to give you some guilt trip. So if this is making you feel guilty, I don't know, pray, pray against the guilt. <laughs> this is not a guilt thing. This is a mission thing. This is a why do we exist thing. This is, this is why is this church planted in this community. And I think it's on purpose. And I think it's for a reason. And I think when we look around this last year, we've had people from all over move into our neighborhoods. And some of them are here, but not enough of them. And we have people that have connections to church, and, and some of them are here and not enough of them. And we all know in our own lives, if we just stop going to church for a season, maybe you've done it. Maybe you've had a whole season in your life where you just you weren't a church person. You just didn't go to church. And how did your faith do? How was your relationship with Christ? It obviously suffers, right? So even believers, there's, there's, there's Christians that are unchurched. In our town, not even speaking yet of the people that need Jesus Christ desperately. But again, I think our common response, and again, I don't want to say that that's bad. I don't want to shame you in it at all. But our common response is that we're not qualified to do it. There's something inside of us that we're like, that sounds so out of my element to even think of talking to someone. I might talk to my neighbor, but. I'm supposed to say, hey, you want to come with me to church? You know, what does it even look like? How does that even feel? The Roman centurion was not qualified to teach Jesus' disciples about what faith looked like. Going further back in the Old Testament, Moses, a murderer, was not qualified to lead God's people out of Egypt. The Apostle Paul, the great persecutor of the early church, was not qualified to become the great missionary of the early church. That was all God. And that's the same God. When we read in Scripture about God, we don't read about some ancient God. We read about the God that is still right now. So so when stuff happens, this, this stuff continues to happen. We follow a God that uses whoever he wants. Whenever he wants. If you take notes, this is what to take notes with. He uses whoever he wants, whenever he wants, to do whatever he wants for his glory and for his honor. So again, maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't even know the first step. I don't even know what to do. That's okay. Next week. Once we're outside, we're we're doing all that stuff, I'm going to start a new sermon series. And it's on uh, this book that I have found to be so enriching in my own life. It's kind of like, almost like an evangelism 101. It just kind of takes out the messiness. It's like, what if, this is the premise of the book, what if when Jesus told us to love our neighbors, not only did that mean everyone, theologically we know that, right? Because, you know, who is my neighbor? And then he tells the good Samaritan. Uh, story and, and, you know, it's kind of everyone's your neighbor. But what if it actually meant your neighbors too? Sometimes it means everyone and therefore it means no one really in our lives. But what if it actually meant the people that live near you? They might be cabins. They might be full-time. It doesn't matter. What if those people we're supposed to love? So that's the premise uh, of this book that we're going to do a series on. It's called The Art of Neighboring. Uh, It starts next week. So if you Uh, leave this time and you say, I don't even know the first step of how to invite someone. That's fine. (laughs) Don't leave feeling bad about that. But come back. (laughs) Come back next week because as we dive into this, I think it's really going to be fruitful.